We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 NFL Draft Running Back Profiles. If you want to find the wide receiver profiles and you're on YouTube on Mayo Media Network, subscribe to that, by the way. Uh, You can find that in a separate video, profiling all the wide receivers. I feel like all we've done is talk about quarterbacks so far because that's easy to talk about. And for people who don't know anything about college football, like me, like I can figure out the quarterbacks, not necessarily who's going to be good and who's going to be bad, but I know the names. And that's usually good enough to pretend to have hot takes about things. But what I really want to dig into today as a part of our NFL draft series is Pat Mayo learning about the players that are going into the draft i know that you know, there's the people on twitter on the internet who are like real oh i know everything there's to know about college football and most people don't i myself am included in that uh, so i need to learn as much as possible so you're gonna have the running back profiles you're gonna have the wide receiver profiles the nfl draft props plus the mega 2001 nfl final version of the mock draft which will all be coming out on the Pat Mayo experience over the course of the next week. So if you like the NFL draft and you're just starting right now, this is the place you want to be. Remember to smash the like button for the episode in the comment section. You tell me which running back you hope your team ends up drafting in this year's NFL draft and subscribe to the newsletter in the description as well because I'll have a few draft bets that are coming out and that's probably where I'll end up putting them on Wednesday evening next week. Bringing in right now the first of many experts to be talking on the Pat Mayo experience about the NFL draft this week, Emery Hunt at F-Ball Game Plan. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Football Game Plan. You can find that in the description on YouTube. You know, he's at CBS. He's doing color commentary for college football games. Emery Hunt, what's going on, man? Not much, Pat, man. I appreciate you having me on. Say that again? (laughs) 
I said nothing much, man. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you. No, my earpiece fucked up for a second, so that wasn't good news. I was like, I can see the mouth moving, but I'm not hearing anything coming through. Hot start to NFL draft season. So can you give people who may not know you a little bit of a background on why you're the guy to talk to about running backs entering the NFL draft? Well, number one, I'm a former college <laughs> running back at University of Louisiana. I don't know if you can see my old jersey and helmet behind me, but also I've been scouting the position since 2007 when we started football game plan and like you talked about in the open just been a color commentator on these college football games so i've seen a lot of football also cover the nfl in addition to what i do with the at the collegiate level so i've been around football played it coached it scouted it now i cover it so definitely one that has a little bit more insight at the running back position than most positions obviously once again, F ball game plan on Twitter. If you want to follow Emery over on the Twitter machine to get some takes as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. I asked you this question last year, and now it seems that, you know, it's becoming more and more prevalent as teams start to go about the NFL draft of, are we going to see a running back in the first round? And we finally got there with the very last pick in the first round last year when Clyde Edwards Alaire ended up going to the Kansas city chiefs. But it seems like people are not necessarily devaluing the position in terms of how important it is to have a good running back. They're just not willing to spend the draft capital because it really seems like there's not a huge gap between, you know, the seventh best running back in terms of talent in the NFL and the 60th at this point, because it all depends on your offensive line, the scheme that you're in to really highlight a lot of these players that a lot of GMs can say, you know what, we can mine 80% value from a fifth round pick than spending the draft capital on a first round pick. Are you seeing this more uh, when it comes to NFL teams now? I think teams are looking at the position in in a sense of, can this guy impact the game? And if you can impact the game, those guys will always find a way in the first round. Think about guys like Christian McCaffrey or Adrian Peterson or Ezekiel Elliott. You also look at, Someone like Leonard Fournette, when he was coming out of LSU, his game-breaking ability just yielded itself to taking him high because that guy was a game-breaker. Now, it didn't all all the way pan out for him, but for the most part, if you're taking the back in the first round, you want someone that can be an explosive game-breaker. So I think when you don't have those elements at the position, that's when you start to see teams say, all right, well, maybe we can get a solid back in the second, third, fourth round, so on and so forth. So For me, it's always about how quickly can you be a game breaker? How much of a game breaker are you at the position? And that determines how high you go at running back as opposed to treating it like it's just a devalued position. Because we all know if you have a back that can go 80, that's just worth his weight in gold, as is a receiver that can go 80 with the with, you know, with his blazing speed or a quarterback that could throw it, you know, 80 yards. So it's the same thing. And just in this draft class or other draft classes where you don't see backs go high it's probably because they don't see them as traditional quote-unquote game breakers so they can kind of wait and take someone else who they feel as though is a game breaker or they can try to save the money and patch together a full running back with two or three guys whether there's a good pass blocker that can also receive out of the backfield but not the strongest runner in between the tackles Uh, we've just seen this over and over that there are so few workhorse running backs at this point and maybe that's a good thing for some of these guys would you say just because the the fewer the touches the fewer the chances to get injured and to keep some of these guys fresh like there's just not a lot of derrick henry's around anymore (laughs) or you look at it in a sense that i gotta use up three roster spots to fill one job so if i find a guy that can do all three in one i'm taking that guy high 
So I think that's the other side of the argument you have to look at. But if you're a guy, I think nowadays we see, we're seeing colleges, um, you know, what we see in college, we see in the NFL. So, yeah, we don't see too many, you know, bell cow backs, so to speak, in the NFL. That's because we don't see too many bell cow situations at the collegiate level. We're seeing committees. Think about it. North Carolina has two backs that's in this draft class that split carries, and both are tremendous tailbacks. So they probably couldn't handle the load at the NFL level if they gave, if you gave them a full slate of a three down backs carries because they weren't built or trained to do that at the collegiate level. So it can go both ways, but I think because we're seeing it at the collegiate level, more committees across these teams, we're going to see more committees at the NFL level. Uh, If you want a full breakdown of each of the skill position players in this draft, plus their player comps and where they might end up going and their perceived fantasy value going forward, I highly recommend Jeff Radcliffe's full preview. I had Radcliffe on last week, ftnfantasy.com. You can find it up there. Use code Mayo. Tell him Pat Mayo ended up sending you. I'll throw the link in the description of this video and podcast as well. You mentioned that, They'll spend first round draft capital if the guy is an actual talent, an actual game breaker, if that's going to be perceived. Plus, you also have to have a team who has a hole at running back. And the team that just kind of jumps out to me is the Steelers right now. Do you think that any of the running backs in this class fit the bill as a legit first round talent? You know, what's interesting. And I'm glad you brought up Pittsburgh, because I think when you look at what a Pittsburgh Steeler running back look like, looks like it's kind of Najee Harris. You know, he's kind of typecast as a stealer back. You look at what left two years ago in Le'Veon Bell. You look at what left last year in James Conner. Najee Harris is about the same size and plays a lot like Le'Veon Bell anyway. So, uh, yes, that would be the most ideal fit for a player uh, in a position of need with a team that definitely appreciates the run game. And that would probably be the only guy I can see going in the first round. Otherwise, you probably look at a team like Miami who has a glaring need at running back but they may want to go with more speed. So you could put Travis Etienne in that, in that conversation, or they may want someone that, you know, is a good foundational player that can help take pressure off Tua Tagovailoa, And that's his old teammate in Najee Harris. So I could only see two guys going in the first based off the fit, but I think Najee Harris, if I had to bet money on it, he would be the one that just kind of is almost too good to happen because it just makes too much sense uh, with Pittsburgh. I wanted to ask you about Travis Etienne. Um, so you went to school in Louisiana. Uh, Etienne is from is from Louisiana. So are you from Louisiana too? Like, what are your ties to Louisiana? I, I like to say we. I was born in the state of New Orleans. We <laughs> consider New Orleans this like DC. We consider New Orleans its own entity, <laughs> and the rest of the state is Louisiana. But yeah, I was born in Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans. So uh, what people may not know about me, I'm from a place where I'm Canadian. So where I am from, you know, 200 years before I was born, they expelled all the French people from the province where I'm from and they sent them down to Louisiana. So there's a huge French culture. I mean, people know that in Louisiana. So I've been really struggling with the last name pronunciation because it feels like a French last name. I mean, Etienne is French for Stephen, but it gets like this weird Americanized version. Can you shed some light on this for me? Because I have a bet with someone of how it's actually no, you pronounced. Are, you are, I'm glad you said that because everyone looks at me sideways because I pronounce it Etienne. When I'm pronouncing it the right way, the French way, because I'm from Louisiana, from New Orleans, where I, I knew more French than I knew anything. So, yes, it is a French Creole Canadian name. It's Etienne, not Etienne. 
And there is. The, the, the Acadian tradition lives on down in New Orleans and somewhat still in Nova Scotia as well. Uh, very limited. My grandmother's Acadian, so uh, she was one of the last few who ended up sticking around. I don't know how she ended up making the cut, but apparently she did. Um, let's talk about him, though, because he could be a first-round pick. You say Miami. You know, I've heard, like, Jamal Charles thrown around as, like, potential. Not this player is Jamal Charles, but when you're looking at skill set, this is you know, a smaller end guy, a guy who can receive but has blazing speed. Do you think that's a fair comp? It's uh, the speed is with Jamal Charles and and also Etienne, but I think from a skill set perspective, he's more Marlon Mack. So if you can combine yeah. Marlon Mack's <laughs> skill with uh, Jamal Charles' speed, you have Travis Etienne, and I do like how he went back this year and worked on his receiving skill and got more acclimated in the passing game, so he became a more well-rounded player. And so you can see him as a first-round back because, again, he has that one thing that I love about you know backs taken in the first round. you got to be able to hit the home run, and if you can hit it from you know the minus 20-yard line or the 50-yard line when you're backed up and they just turn around and hand you the football – and you can go 80 yards or 50 yards and, and really break the game open, that's the type of player you want to take in the first round because there's not that many players with his level of speed and explosiveness at the position. When we're thinking about, like, I'm just looking through all like the, you know, I'm reading up on the, the draft rankings at running back, and it just seems to be all big school guys. I mean, that makes sense. They have the giant recruiting classes. So like Clemson, Alabama, you talk about the two North Carolina guys, uh, Trey Sermon from Ohio State. Are there small school guys that you think are real values in this draft just because of the weird year in college football? Obviously, you know, some teams didn't play the full complement of games or some guys sat out that scouting might be off on some of these smaller school guys who could be really good. Yeah, I, when you look at the mid-major level, let's say the schools at the FBS level that are outside the top, outside the power five. So you're talking about UL Monroe, my Louisiana Raging Cajuns, you also talk about the University of Buffalo. All three schools have tremendous tailbacks. And I mentioned those schools in particular because you look at Josh Johnson out of UL Monroe, fantastic tailback, good balance, good burst, good vision. You go back and watch his game against Florida State in 2019. He lit up the Seminoles. Louisiana has two outstanding tailbacks and Elijah Mitchell, who's a tremendous receiver, downfield threat in the passing game with tremendous speed. And Trey Regas, who's a, a short yardage goal line runner, I think he's going to be a touchdown monster in the league. He's kind of like Jordan Howard. So you got two backs coming from that Raging Cajun program. And also at Buffalo, Jarrett Patterson, ter terrific ball carrier. You know, and this is a guy that's about 5'6", 200 pounds. But he was able to handle a full three-down load at Buffalo. Had games where he ran for 400 yards in one game one week, 300 the next week. He was just outstanding uh, for, the, for the Bulls and has been since – he got on campus. So this is one of those backs that has proven he can handle volume if need be, but definitely is going to be more along the lines of being a complimentary guy at the next level. So it's a great year, in my opinion, for a group of five backs, because there's a lot of talent uh, at that at the mid-major level in the FBS. So Harris and Etienne are like tier one running backs. Is there another running back in this class that you would put into that tier? Like is one of the North Carolina guys up that far? Absolutely. Michael Carter. His elusiveness is elite. When you have the ability to make people miss at the rate that he does, you, you become essentially your own blocker. So he's doing a great job of, you know, having his feet and eyes in unison. He's making a lot of plays front side to back side. Once he gets to the second level, he's making guys miss in the hole and people will focus on his size, but you can't hit him 
to get a good lick on him to hurt him. So, you know, that's the, the difference about a guy, Michael Carter, who I believe has elite level traits to where you can feel comfortable with him high second round or even how the the, the uh, Chiefs took Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year, late in the first. He would be the only other guy that I would feel comfortable with taking in the first round because of that elite trait of being able to make guys miss. So what sort of player that's currently in the NFL do you think would be a decent comp for him? Someone like Austin Eckler? I would say Daryl Henderson. Um, Daryl Henderson had that same type of shiftiness and burst, even though he's a little bit more elusive than Henderson, but they still had that same get out of dodge speed because once they hit a crease, they can really go. And to me, once you find backs that can be consistent 25 to 30 yard burst type guys, you're doing okay in a run game and someone like Michael Carter and you look at Daryl Henderson and, and when he's healthy out there in, in that Rams backfield, he just provides a different level of energy uh, in the run game. So uh, you're one of the few people I've heard with Carter over Williams in this kind of spot. What is it with Williams and where do you project him to go necessarily, not necessarily in the draft, but like what's a good fit for him in the NFL? I think he's more of a complimentary guy. You know, I think he's more of a guy that you want to pair up with the Michael Carter, right? <laughs> um, so I think he's someone that the reason why I have Carter ahead of him, I think Williams takes on too much contact. You know, there are no 18 or 19 year olds in the NFL. You can't just keep running through everybody, right? You have to be able to make people miss. These are grown men that are out there trying to, you know, feed their families and provide, you know, generational wealth for their for the rest of their family so you can't be out there thinking you're just going to run through somebody like the tape at the finish line you got to be able to make guys miss and that's a big key his vision is okay it's not great it's not terrible but it's just okay so he has some limitations in my opinion but he has good bursts good explosiveness i see him as a second round player um but i know some people have him higher than that but i just feel like he's someone that you could probably pair up with another tailback and get the best of both worlds. Let's say you send them out there to Buffalo uh, where you're with uh, Devin Singletary or Zach Moss or Anna Zach Moss and you have Javonta Williams out there in your run game. Now you have someone that can really provide outstanding value uh, to the, to the office and to the, uh, to the backfield. Uh, Trey, Sir, uh, Trey Sermon from Ohio State also being talked up as a part of that like upper crust of the tier two at running back in terms of talent. Can't figure out exactly what he does way better than everyone else, though. Just like when you watch him play, he seems just very solid at everything. Yeah, he's, he's that's exactly right. He's solid at everything. I, I see him more along the lines of a TJ Yeldon type. The, the one special trait that Sermon has that I really was impressed with watching him back at Oklahoma and then at Ohio State his footwork. I mean, he has some classy feet, man. You talk about someone that can really, you know, pick and slide his way through the line of scrimmage, pick and slide his way through the trash and always is falling forward. You rarely see him take a loss because his footwork gets him out of a jam. So with that level of footwork and ability to make guys uh, miss or make decisions quickly pre-snap or sorry, pre-line of scrimmage, that gives him the ability to have a lot of success, uh, you know, like we saw him do at Oklahoma and also at Ohio State toward the back end of the season. If we were to throw some of the running backs from last year's class in with this year's class, how do you think they would stack up? Because obviously Jonathan Williams, very good. Cam Akers, very good. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, he got banged up. And then I think that the fantasy value that people talked about with him kind of made it impossible for him to live up to any sort of expectation. The bar was set so high for the productivity that he was supposed 
to put through in year one. It just never really came to fruition that if you put, let's say, just those three guys back in this year's draft, would they be the three best guys? Would they be numbers like three, four, and five compared to Etienne and Harris? I would say Taylor would be number one. Taylor had the speed that Najee Harris does not. Uh, Najee Harris has good speed. Taylor has great speed. And so I think Taylor would have been number one. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire would have been about number four right behind Etienne, you know, or, or competing for, for three with Etienne. And I believe Akers would have been down around, you know, uh, somewhere around like, you know, nine or something, uh, competing with Trey Sermon. You know, Akers was a good player, uh, but just wasn't that spectacular runner. You know, he didn't have the natural vision that you want to see uh, from the tailback position, but um, good all-around skills. You know, he's a good receiver, good good value player there. Uh, he was versatile because he was a former high school quarterback. So I just think that his vision needed to get a little bit more up to speed than what it was coming out of Florida State. So if we look at the rest of the running backs that are projected to go potentially at the end of day one, maybe early on day two, you have like Gainwell, Hubbard, Jefferson, Hill, Mitchell. Do you have a preference between any of these guys? Jamar Jefferson is outstanding. Um, he was terrific as a high school running back. I was shocked to see him go to Oregon State because you don't normally see t- tailbacks of that caliber go to Oregon State. And he was paying dividends right off the bat as a freshman and this past year he showed some kareem hunt type ability where he has good acceleration man he's like almost aaron jones like and how he's able to weave through you know the line of scrimmage and find his way out on a corner and getting down the field with the speed so i'm a big fan of him he's actually my fifth running back in this class right after puka williams out of kansas who i think is another one of these scat backs that's terrific you talk about vision speed explosiveness that's puka williams and colin hill is another one that colin hill to me is more like cam Akers. you know he's solid all around game not you know nothing overly spectacular but gets the job done it can help you on both ends of offense and chuba hubbard obviously has the legit sprinter speed but i think he's probably more fit to serve in a complimentary role i would love to see him in san francisco with the outside zone scheme and allow him to get the corner, turn it, and then get down the sideline. What role can someone like Kenneth Gainwell play in the NFL? Is it like a third down James White type role? I believe so. I think that's a little bit more of where he's going to be typecast. And I think when you look at him and uh, Louisville's tailback, Javion Hawkins, they're one and the same. They're both speed guys. Again, I hate using the same team, but you see them in San Francisco you know, how they are able to cycle through backs and, and and play well with those type guys, I think that's an area where you'll see them have their level of productivity. So let's say if you're a game well and you go to somewhere like Philadelphia where you're paired up with Miles Sanders, then you have a really good functional dynamic backfield. I think that's along the lines where he would be able to, to thrive in situations like that. So you mentioned Jared Patterson from earlier of the mid-majors from Buffalo. Is Are there any running backs that we haven't talked about yet that you think that could just whether it's signing as an undrafted free agent or potentially going fifth, sixth, seventh round that with the right opportunity could really make an impact either this year or potentially next year in the NFL. There's a couple of guys too. Uh, CJ Marable out of coastal Carolina, who another mid major guy that really stepped up this year, big time for the shot to clears. He has, I would say tremendous acceleration. 
Um, another one of these guys, kind of like Kenneth Gainwell, that you know can be paired up with someone. And also, you look at uh, at the University of Virginia, Shane Simpson. I covered a lot of his games at Towson, and he was a terrific, versatile player as a kickoff returner, punt returner, running back, receiver. He transfers to Virginia this year because Towson punted on their season to play in the spring, um, and they didn't play in the spring because you know obviously because of COVID. So he was able to go up a level and show the NFL scouts that he had recovered from the injury and hadn't lost his speed or explosiveness. So he's a track guy that can play multiple positions and is a, another one of these downfield threats in the passing game. So he could be maybe, I mean, Cordero Patterson obviously has a ton of size, but almost a Swiss Army knife type player where they can play special teams, put them out at receiver on the outside, or potentially do some reverses or even line them up in the backfield at the same time. I feel like those gadget guys who can do multiple things are really undervalued still. Yeah, they're very undervalued. And, and yeah, he's a running back first, but also can do other things. And, you know, because that's where he differs from Patterson. Patterson was a receiver first, and I still think he's a receiver always, but gets carries in the backfield because it just doesn't have the natural vision and feel for the running back position. He's just an athlete that you're putting back there in the backfield and handing the football off because he gets stuffed every time you try to, you know, use him as a running back. But when you use him in a gadgety situation where you create space for him to make it seem like a, a kickoff return, a punt return, that's when he has the, you know, the biggest gains. Uh, and so Simpson is someone that, that is a tailback first, but also let's say you want to get two tailbacks on the field. You throw him in a slot and he's just as good as a receiver because he could run really good routes. So he could be someone like maybe not to the extent of, but this in a similar fashion of the way that Carolina used Curtis Samuel last year. Sort of. Yeah. I will say that, is probably more apt than uh, someone like Patterson. Okay. Emery Hunt, you can check out all of his work up at F. Ball Game Plan on Twitter, obviously the YouTube channel, Football Game Plan. Tell everyone what you got going on this week because I assume you're working like 15 hours a day. Well, firstly, they can get a copy of my 2021 NFL Draft Guide. I printed my copy out. This is over 600 scouting reports and individual scouting reports. Everyone has their own scouting report. So it looks like this. So you get all my scouting notes on every prospect in this draft, guys that will be on the roster that you'll see get cut or sign in on the practice squad or in training camp. You will have a pretty good idea on the, on the prospect. So over 600 scouting reports, individual scouting reports, color, full color pages in, on PDF. So you get the PDF copy. If you want to be brave and print it out like I did do so, but PDF copy, you can get your edition at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. All right, so footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. You should have led with that. That should have been the first thing you said off the top of the show. I will cut this clip and make it the social media clip so everyone knows where to go to get this, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. You should, you didn't you did ask, and so I'm, I'm a terrible businessman. <laughs> but so when people see the, that draft guide, you will be well prepared for everyone uh, that's going to get drafted, that's going to get signed, that's going to find themselves traded or not traded. And when your team signs someone and everyone is saying, who the hell is this guy? Just go through the draft guy and we will have a scouting report on him. Jake Seeley from theathletic.com, friend of the show. You've been, you know, MIA recently. You've been doing baseball. Yeah. I don't really care for baseball, but it's around this time of year when you start getting folded back into the mix every week. Yeah, it's nice. It's been too long for us. I was I was wondering who you had on to talk running backs, and then you said Emory. I was like, well, 
can't get any much better than that. So I have no problem with that one. You could say former high school safety for one year, Jake Seeley. You could say that. Well, there you go. And me- member of the high school golf team and backup safety on his high school I football was. team. There you I go. Was. Baseball too. Starter baseball. There, you are the most qualified person apparently to talk about wide receivers in college going to the NFL with <laughs> at this point. So just tell me about these guys. Like, in terms of the like if there's like a tier of the top wide receivers this year, you know, you see different people throw, oh, there's two guys on a the tier, there's one guy's on a the tier, there's five guys on this tier. Who's actually the tier one at receiver as draft prospects? In my opinion, there's three. And I've been doing that for the past three years now where I did tiers. Before I used to rank just like everybody out there did, just one through however far I got. And it actually goes back to the draft with Michael Thomas. And I think you and I even talked way back at that time. This is before I even knew Emery. Uh, And I said after the draft that Michael Thomas ended up with the perfect situation. Like you could not find a better skill set to player to team position opportunity for what Michael Thomas was. And that's when I said, you know what? There's too much change after the draft. I'm going to do tiers from now on. So for me this year it is three it's the two alabama kids and jamar chase so it's chase smith and jalen waddle those are my big three i know some people want to include terrace marshall but we could talk about him too but i i think those three had the leg up uh, and honestly chase of the three is the most complete and most likely to be an nfl number one the other two with waddle and and, and smith they have a little bit of concerns but they're talented enough that they they could be in the right spot to be a tier one too but uh, that's what I'm talking about landing spot. They could, you could see somebody put Devonte Smith with his size and put him in a bad position where he's buried. And now he's the third wide receiver and all he's doing is running go routes for his team. Who do we expect to be the team to take a receiver first? Do we think it's Miami? Uh, there's a lot of people who think it's Miami. There's a lot that think Cincinnati could go right back into it and, you know, continue to build up Joe Burrow's weapons because they brought in a uh, uh, rife for the tackle situation and they don't need a tackle right now. They need offensive line help, but they actually need interior offensive line help for this year. Rife isn't a long-term solution. So that's why some people are speculating that they could go pits. They could go wide receivers because maybe they don't want to take the tackle right now. Uh, maybe they do it in the second round, um, but it could be Cincinnati. It could be Miami. I think Miami is the best bet. Cincinnati would be a little bit more of a surprise, but I'd be shocked if one of these wide receivers isn't off the board by Philly, who a lot of people are rumoring that Philly might take a wide receiver as well. But I think one of them comes off the board before we get to Philly. Yeah, and it could be a situation where Atlanta takes pits and then Cincinnati takes a wide receiver and then Miami sitting there being like, oh boy, uh, maybe we need to trade this pick. Who knows? You should tune into the mock draft on Mayo Media Network coming out very, very soon if you want to see who we project those teams to end up taking if there's going to be a trade. Because we make trades in our mock draft just to fuck everything up and then just how we like (laughs) to roll with it going through. So who do you think is the best fit for Miami? Is it Chase? I'd say Chase, um, mostly because... Waddle, I keep saying he's almost a clone of Tyreek Hill, and they just signed Will Fuller. So you want that complete alpha number one wide receiver, you know, push Devontae Parker off to the side where Parker doesn't need to be that guy anymore. Um, And, you know, you really 
had a year or two where he kind of shows some glimpses of it, but I think he's one of those situations where, similar to Corey Davis, he's better as a 1B instead of being the guy. So I can see Waddle, but I think Chase makes the most sense. The, the biggest thing that you're going to have, too, with Chase is you also have the year off. So there's going to be, you can nitpick with that and say, well, what if somebody doesn't trust that he's what we saw before? And then, of course, you go back to the injury with Waddle and what he was playing through. So, I mean, you can nitpick all three of these, but... I say Smith makes the least sense, Chase makes the most, and Waddle kind of fits in the middle. So for the Dolphins, I mean, Smith would be, if Waddle or if uh, Chase isn't available, Smith would probably be the better fit for Miami than over Waddle, wouldn't he? Uh, I actually think Waddle would be the better fit because you could keep Fuller outside and use Waddle like Tyreek Hill, like he's used with the Chiefs. I think Smith would be a little bit redundant of Will Fuller. And despite the size, I think there's a, like a redundant skill set there. Yeah, unless you just wanted to turn your Tua offense into the vertical <laughs> offense, which probably which would, isn't going to be that's the best. Why it doesn't, right, and that doesn't make a lot of sense because most of last year's struggles with Tua and the offense in general and why Preston Williams wasn't a great fit is because they're moving to this pseudo West Coasty style offense. So if you all of a sudden went the other direction with it, everything you were just building with with Tua just makes goes out the window. So I think actually Waddle would make more sense for that because then you can run some of those seams over the middle. How deep is this wide receiver class compared to last year, which was and now looking at it after one year, it seems like historically good in terms of depth. <laughs> I think people want to put it on the same level because you know, there's a lot of names that people want to throw out there. I, I would say it's a little bit of a step behind. Uh, I think it's a very deep class, but I think there's more questions quicker than there were last year. Like last year, that top tier was, wow, everybody in the top tier should hit. And second tier, there's like a lot of people, including myself, Justin Jefferson was in my second tier. I thought it was going to take him a year to turn into anything of where we're talking about as in top 15, top 20 wide receivers. So I definitely didn't expect him to succeed that quickly. And then you have people like Jalen Rager who struggled because of the offense, because of the playing time, because he was the number one at times. So I think last year's draft is slightly a step ahead, but this one isn't far from it. Okay. Yeah, I remember all the conversation about uh, Jefferson was just like, well, if they put him on the outside, what's he going to do? Turns out he's pretty good. <laughs> it is. It turns out, you know, that, and that's the thing is uh, that Jefferson situation was, you know, he didn't tear up the outside and wasn't unstoppable from a corner perspective. It's just this is why Lanny Spot matters so much. He was put in a position where he is the number two from day one, like even with a little bit of a slow start. He's the number two. He was in an offense that needed a number two. You look at the receivers that were there. Nobody was going to hold him off like that was his job to take. So you could go down this list and you could say, well, Cincinnati's a nice spot, but compared to Philly might be a worst fantasy situation as a rookie because you're behind T Higgins and Tyler Boyd where you step into Philly. You're probably starting alongside Jalen Rager as the top two receiver. I mean, even if you go to Cincinnati with Higgins and Boyd right now, you know, there's an outside spot available for someone to see immediate playing time. There is, and there's, you know, they ran plenty of three wide themselves, but it's not as, that's what I'm saying, it's not as advantageous as being the number two on basically not, you know, not too dissimilar of an offense. You know, maybe Philly doesn't have the firepower, but I, I'm a Hurts fan. I, I think Hurts is going to take a huge step forward, like a lot of people do. I'm not the only person. But you're telling me the number two. I would take the number two. Put it this way. I like Chase better than the other two as the complete wide receiver. But you put Chase on the Bengals and Waddle on the Eagles, and I'll take Waddle in fantasy drafts. Yeah, I'm just thinking about from a real-life perspective where these guys are going to end up going. So 
The cop that we keep hearing with Waddle is Tyreek Hill. That seems unfair since Tyreek Hill is one of the best wide receivers <laughs> of the past 10 years. Right. So what's a different comp for him, like a realistic comp? I, I to be honest, I think that's a realistic comp. But I, I get what you're saying. Like, what's do you want like a floor comp? Is that kind no? Of what because you're getting because at? If, like I mean, you can say player comp. That doesn't mean that player is that other player. But just it's right. Tyreek Hill. He reminds me of Tyreek Hill. He's Tyreek Hill. If that was the case, you should go fucking like number one overall. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually have a bet where he's the first wide receiver off the board for that reason. So I, I think that's what you're looking at here. Is that that's why. You have a lot of people that are fascinated with him. I'm kind of thinking somebody else that, you know what, like it, that, that's where I'm leaning kind of like the floor is somebody with like a similar, go- you know what, I, I think that he's got some, I'm kind of Cooper Cupness to him where, you know, that, I mean, that's the same range of the field. That's the same opportunities you have. You want him playing out of a slot for a good portion of his snaps, so it doesn't need to be all of it like Tyreek Hill. I think, if you're looking for, okay, he's not Tyreek Hill, I think Cooper Cup might be the next step down. So, all right, so we've done the tier one. We have three receivers there. How many receivers do you think that you would have in tier two? I have five in tier two. Okay, who are they? They are Kadarius Tony, Terrence Marshall, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, and Elijah Moore. The Moors. Not the Mopes. Not, not the Moops. Not the Moops. So you have two mores uh, in your tier two. So how, what order do you think that you would put them in from like a skill set perspective? Because obviously, fantasy-wise, it is all about destination, how they're going to fit into that offense. But just objectively, yeah. how do you think you would put them in order? Uh, so I didn't put him one. I just kind of went through the list. Uh, but Terrace Marshall from LSU, skill set-wise, is the best out of all of them. I mean, you're looking down here. You're looking at like... With Moore and Tony, I mean, you're talking about guys that might get pigeonholed as slot options and might get stuck as slot options for a year or two before they're allowed to step into more. The thing I said with Marshall, and for comparison's sake, this is a, this is a comp of skill set, not a comp of like overall player, because Terrace Marshall is a bigger, better wide receiver than Marquise Lee was. The skill set situation that I brought up was when Marquise Lee came out of college, he was that much better than everybody he faced. So he was kind of lazy. He was lazy in his routes. He was lazy in his body positioning. He let corners get on top of him. And when he got to the NFL, he struggled. And that's why it took Marquise Lee a few years to get going. You hope that Marshall having that same issue, you see a lot of times where Marshall has the corner right on top of him. And he makes those catches because he's that much better. But until he cleans up his routes, he could struggle immediately. Hopefully, it doesn't take him as long as it took Marquise Lee. But if you're just talking about pure talent in this range, I say Marshall, if you could just go, everybody's on the same team after the draft, I say Marshall is the upside here, the most upside here. So which more would you go with? Mm. I'm Rondell Moore over Elijah Moore. I've gotten pulled into thinking a little bit higher of Elijah Moore than I initially did, but I'm still a Rondell Moore guy. I I think he's going to be in a situation where, you know, you could, even if he's a slot option, I think you could see Robert Woods like value for him where he's even getting touches out of the backfield. They're just finding the way to get the balls, the ball in his hands. Well, is that the same sort of thing with Tony as well, where you might see him kind of pop up all over the field? Yeah. So I think it was Mina Kimes. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was her who tweeted this out and it was one of those Mario creator levels where he's, jumping all around somebody put like a million of those fireball circles all over the place and he's like Kadarius Tony I was like that's pretty accurate he's just all over the field I said that you know 
I think I could see Cole Beasley like for him where, you know, Cole Beasley is primarily the slot almost all the time. He's one of the highest in the league, 80% of the time, but he's still a top 30, 35 wide receiver in fantasy just because he's hard to get a control of defensively. He's finding space. He's finding ways to get open. And then after the catch, he's pretty damn good too. So I think Tony and even more is in that conversation. Bateman too. They're, all three of those guys have some similarities. I have some overlaps. Um, the one concern with Rashad Bateman is he gets jammed pretty quickly. If you have press coverage on him. I was going to say, you seem to have, you seem to be a lot lower on him than Twitter seems to be where everyone's just falling in love Which with one? Bateman. With Bateman. I mean, I've seen, just maybe it's people with the hottest of hot takes, but like he's actually the best receiver in this draft. See, and he was extremely highly thought of before the year, cooled off a little bit. Uh, I'll I'll go right to my breakdown. I'll pull it up. I'll tell you the, the negatives. I, I again, I love him off the line of scrimmage. I actually said he runs routes like a NASCAR driver. He's just getting past people and weaving along. But um, I mentioned the jammed, and then when I said his speed style, the issue with this trying to explain for everybody is we, we you see a lot of breakdowns and wide receivers and you see people say varies their speed slows down explodes out of their breaks and stuff like that and all these are ways are saying is that they're not running one speed the entire time and they're also not telegraphing when they do slow down bateman is very easy to kind of see what route he's planning to do because he varies the speed but he varies it because of the route he's not varying it to throw off his wide receivers so you see a lot of times where corners aren't fooled and if you're not fooling people in the big 10 you're not fooling people in the nfl so i like him it's just that in combination with handsy press coverage tough corners kind of jam him up a little bit that's my only concern is once he's free forget about it but my concern is getting free immediately well, I mean, maybe this is a bad comp then trying to think about it, but like when you see him on the field and just like the kind of routes that he runs, like the depth of the routes that he runs and what he can do in actual, you know, feels like he has very strong hands and he seems like someone who's just going to get a lot of volume. Uh, he's going to be a highly targeted receiver. He's going to be like a Keenan Allen type where just we can throw the ball in his direction. He's not running, you know, sprints down the field. He'll be open seven yards mm -hmm. down the field and that is going to be good enough uh, if we want to continue to try to move the chains. He strikes me as one of those guys. Maybe I'm dead off on that. No, I actually like that. And I said that in my last sentence on him, becoming an NFL number one option isn't out of the question. I think that's a really good explanation and comparison for people sitting at home trying to think of like, what, what are we talking about here? I think Keenan Allen's situate like style in the NFL. I think that's a good comparison, but you can see where on the wrong team, and the wrong situation where he wouldn't be as successful. So maybe Bateman is somebody that like Jalen Rager doesn't pop until year two, or maybe he's not even the one that takes off like, you know, immediately. And we're talking about him in weeks nine, 10, 11. Um, there is upside here. There's also, you know, a lot of them. I mean, how many wide receivers do we talk about in general, rookie wide receivers that are actually top 25 right out of the gate? It doesn't usually happen. Like the, the Odell Beckham year with Mike Evans and Sammy Watkins, that's not the norm. No, but last year was kind of like that in a way. It was what Jefferson. Who else do we have? I'm trying to think. Like the wasn't there? There's three or four. Well, I mean, top Judy right? Judy got banged up and just didn't go to a decent situation. But he was very playable. Rugs didn't really do much. Who was the other? The other top one who ended up going? No, I can't remember. Chase, well, no, it wasn't a top one though. But Chase Claypool was up there. But That's his right. was for touchdown, touchdown and then T hit. T. Higgins. Oh, Brandon Ayuk was the fifth one I was trying to think, but Brandon Ayuk was there, but that also had to do with a Debo Samuel injury, so that helped him. Yeah, 
So I guess fantasy-wise, if we're thinking about it that way, then you're going to see probably maybe two to three options pop up. I was about to say, put the over-under at two and a half. <laughs> but uh, but these guys do become viable somewhere down the line, whether it's a spot start, bench guy, you know, draft kings, that kind of thing, where if they get thrust right. into the right... That's why I say, like, Judy. Like, Judy was kind of unplayable most of the year, but he did have a few of those weeks where, like, oh, this is a good situation. Locke is back. He's finally, you know, he's back being healthy. Everyone's kind of healthy on this team, except for Cortland Sutton at this time. Now it's Judy time in the night matchup and he like destroyed the falcons and i won a bunch of money that week that was fantastic but other than that you know it was kind of dicey for him even someone like mims where mims gets 13 (laughs) targets a game and catches four of them (laughs) well i was gonna say you know as much as we want to say and no this is probably going to be the worst team in the league in the detroit lions next year their top two wide receivers right now are brashad perriman and tyrell williams you put bateman there and it's kind of similar to the Jefferson situation. He can walk into 120, 130 targets as a rookie. And as much as we want to knock Jared Goff, you know, still had Cooper Cup and Robert Woods inside the top 20 for fantasy purposes. So, you know, you put Bateman, Marshall, Moore, Rondell Moore, maybe probably not Elijah Moore, but probably Rondell Moore, maybe even Tony. I don't like anybody in this tier really lands on this team. And you're just talking about the volume being able to offset a lot of the concern that you might have for these guys. Well, on paper, wouldn't Waddle be the primo guy for the Lions if he could make it there? Yeah, but I don't know that. I I was kind of thinking that the Lions don't take a wide receiver in round one for this point that I was making. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. If they were smart, they'd just draft Owen D. Lineman, wouldn't they? <laughs> you would think so, but yeah, who, who knows? So you said if they're smart. I mean, it's new regime, so maybe the new regime's smart. <laughs> Yeah, if it was like uh, 15 years ago, it would just be receiver, 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 receiver. We'll eventually hit one. And they did it, actually. Remember twice. Charles Rogers? <laughs> I totally forgot. I was thinking about my fake Mike Williams, the big Mike Williams from oh, USC. <laughs> the big Mike Williams, the fake Mike Williams, yeah. There was a lot of them. They're, they went, what, three years in a row? I think so. Megatron worked out. <laughs> that definitely, that was the one. That was definitely the one. If Pitts was listed as a wide receiver, where would he rank out in this class? Would he be one? Yeah, I think I put him in tier one. I, I I jokingly said that at the end of the college football season, and I said he's a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. That's that's really what he is. He's that big of a beast. He's that big of a threat. I would consider him as a tight end one as a rookie. Yes, as a rookie, not even knowing where he lands. The only thing that could really kill him is if the Giants, if he fell there, and now he's behind three wide receivers. Well. Not talent-wise, but you have three wide receivers. You have Evan Ingram. You have Saquon Barkley. That's the only situation I could see that hurts him. Uh, or, you know, maybe the Lions surprise us and go Hawkinson and Pitts at the gate. Um, but, yeah, his – his I put him at Tier 0. I, this is the first year ever I've done Tier 0. I said Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Pitts are both Tier zeros. They are that much better than everybody else. They deserve their own tier. They are special, generational, for the cliché, generational talents but this is when a generational talent means generational talent i remember what, what's the expectation for Pitts when it comes to blocking is he like an evan ingram noah fant type where they're just not going to ask him because i feel like that hurts someone like tj hawkinson and it doesn't with kittle because he's just used so much but he's such a good blocker anyway gronk in terms of volume was always kind of like this too where he was never going to see exceptional volume because his blocking was so good they asked him to stay back and block sometimes and that happens to hawkinson that doesn't seem like it's going to be too much of a concern for Pitts. no well the thing is Pitts is actually a good blocker so that helps uh he's not 
it'll help, it, but it'll, it'll help keep him on the field. But sometimes right, right. he won't be asked to run routes. I'm guessing sometimes because he'll be asked to stand back and block. Yeah, but I don't think it's gonna. I don't think you're drafting Kyle Pitts with the let's make sure we're using him in the passing game. Yeah, in the passing game as a blocker. Your point about staying on the field, I think, is more important. Is that he's not a terrible blocker, so he's not going to have to come off the field. That's what's better, better and bigger about his upside. So we'll see his snap shares up around like 90, 95 percent then. <laughs> no, I wish. I don't know if it'll be that. <laughs> Maybe year two. Maybe year two. So tell me about like the tier three and the rest of the receivers. Who are you excited about from down here? Uh, so there's two of my tier three that I'm mostly excited about. So is Diami Brown from UNC, the kid over, averaged over 20 yards a catch. I, I, I got to ask you how I, I didn't pay attention to college football. How good was UNC? Because apparently they have all of these like super high skilled position players. <laughs> and they have a really great quarterback <laughs> for their future too. Um, they were better than you would think UNC to be a for a football program. Like the UNC is not usually where you're thinking, Oh my God, let's go check them out. You know, I kind of think of it like um, Penn State when, you know, you had Allen Robinson coming out and Chris Godwin. It's just UNC just happened to hit at the right time. They weren't amazing. They just had a couple really good players. But the problem is where they didn't, they had a lot of deficiencies, too. So it kind of evened itself out. Okay. So Brown is one that you're excited about. Who was the other guy? Uh, my guy that I'm trying to, I, I know you're going to hate it because it's my nickname and you hate all my nicknames, but I'm calling, uh, Josh Imator Bibi the mummy, because it makes me think of Emotep every single time I see his name, see his name. Um, and nobody goes by the mummy, but I love this kid from Illinois. Similar. I compare him a little bit to Marshall and the fact that he's got everything you want skill set wise, body wise, you want like an NFL wide receiver to be. He was out battling everybody at Illinois when people knew that he was the only talent on the field and getting throws from a mediocre quarterback and from a mediocre offense. And he's the guy, you know, I'm not going to say for everybody out there, I'm not saying he's Calvin Johnson, but you brought up Calvin Johnson before where Calvin Johnson was like, okay, all you have to do for the Lions is stop Calvin Johnson and people couldn't do it. That was kind of the same thing with Emer Tabibi. He still has development issues. He still needs to clean up his routes quite a bit. Uh, that's understandable coming from Illinois um, and any wide receiver, really. There's very few wide receivers that step right out of college and are like, oh, my God, there are 90 out of 100 at route running. Um, but he's somebody that I'm super excited to see where he lands. He might probably might probably he probably will be somebody we're talking about more for 2022 than 2021, though. But uh, yeah. And go back to Brown. He's just a big play, you know, somewhat like a, a Will Fuller type of upside with Brown. I like emo temp. I actually think that's a very good nickname. Yeah, calling him the mummy. Maybe he runs. I retire. Like this. I'm done. Do you remember the <laughs> scene done. in the original mummy when John Hanna had to pretend like he was under the gaze and just started walking around like this? <laughs> I love the I original mummy. That. I mean, it's not the original mummy, but the the Brennan Fraser first mummy. Good but, movie. Yeah, that, great, great that, flick. It, it's, for all intents and purposes, that is the original mummy for what we're thinking about. Yeah, because we're not like 97 years old. Who, who was the mummy? <laughs> right. It wasn't Frank Langella. He was Dracula back in the day. And it wasn't Bella Lugosi. Now I can't even remember. Have you seen point. Have you seen the Mummy recently and seen how bad the CGI was with those beetles? Oh yeah, like it, it's not good. It, <laughs> it's weirdly on all the time. So I just I'll pick it up at some point and just be like, oh yeah, the Mummy. Let's go. I miss Brendan Fraser. Do you ever turn? Do you ever see the Scorpion King when that comes on with the Rock? Uh, it, that is very rarely on. I did see that in theaters though, as I was such a big fan of the Rock and his burgeoning movie career at the time. Who could have thought? <laughs> I think they made like a direct to direct to VOD sequel to that without the Rock. I 
No, there was a second. I know there was a third. There might have even been a fourth. I think I was talking with somebody the other day and was telling me is Scorpion King had the fourth. Scorpion King. Yeah. Scorpion King 4, the quest for power. I like it. The Rock's not in any of these, right? No, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> Equinamia St. Brown's brother, better or worse? <laughs> Amon Ra St. Brown? Yeah. Better, better, because Equinamia St. Brown, you remember this. I, I, everybody always wanted me to call a Notre Dame homer, and I was the quickest to trash everybody coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, he's better, but similar, I would say, concerns coming in. Fewer concerns, but similar concerns in the fact that he's not ready to be a rookie impact option. All these guys, like I have Nico Collins in this range. I have Amari Rogers from Clemson in this range. Austin Watkins is a sleeper that a lot of people like from UAB. Um, but St. Brown is in the same range of wide receivers where right situation, you could probably see something in 2022. You're thinking of these two to three year developmental guys. The good thing for St. Brown is he's a great, that's one who is, he's at the top of the class for route running, but doesn't have great speed, doesn't really get deep on defenses, uh, and, you know, somebody else who could use to build up a little bit of strength. So yeah. he's Four got – the good thing with him is the strength issue is addressable. The speed thing is probably never going to come. Yeah, 4.640 time. Uh, not great for a receiver. No, but, you know, everybody will always bring in, go back to Jerry Rice, that he ran a 4.6. So yeah, if you're used the right way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it turns out if you're Jerry Rice, it doesn't really matter. Uh, if you're anyone who's not Jerry Rice, bit more of a problem, maybe. I'm just, I'm not a big 40 guy in general because, let's be honest, Pat, you know this, and everybody out there, so you're watching football, and you watch them play, and you see them on TV. Nobody at home is sitting there going... Yeah, that, that's a 4-4 four, four route instead of a 4-6 route. I can tell. It's 0.2 seconds. You can't tell. No, but I do think that it speaks to... I, I, I don't necessarily... If it's in the middle of like your average time, like plus or minus whatever points of a second, you can be exceptionally fast if you run like a 4-3 something. Or if you're like... Right. like uh, I'm looking at this guy right now, Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. He ran a 4-7. Like, that seems yeah, that was slow. Not like actual it, person slow. That feels like NFL slow. Like there are linemen that run four sevens. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny that you bring up Sage Chirac because he was in this group too. And after seeing that, I do have some more concern than I did. But the thing was, is that was already an issue that I wasn't expected to be addressed is because Surratt wins contested catches. That's who he is. I said, if you want to think of a comparison, again, I'm not putting him on Kenny Galladay's tier. But what do we know about Kenny Galladay at this point of his career? He's not going to separate. If you're throwing to Kenny Galladay, you have to understand probably 50% of the time he's going to be covered. The thing is, he comes down with 90% of those balls. Surratt has that similarity, but Surratt doesn't also have the overall skill set and ability of Kenny Galladay. So somebody like Surratt, somebody with that 4-7, and if you ever put up a 4-8, good God, I'm with you on that. If you're at the extremes, but if you're in between a 4-4 to a 4-6, that doesn't really ever make me think twice. Well, what if you're Anthony Schwartz? He uses the Schwartz, apparently, to gain his speed. Is there any more like fitting place for him to go than the Raiders at it with a 4.2740 on his pro day? <laughs> the, first two, the first two words? Terrific speed! That's exactly what I said. Uh, the funny thing is, is with him is his short-range game is limited despite this because you see some of these guys who have great speed but they struggled to quickly release uh you know what not the raiders obviously i know you're joking with that i'm trying to think of someone that could you know he, he 
I can see a Deshaun Jackson type of value for him. So if you find the right team where he's that third option, but that third, you know, there's another one. I think Deshaun Jackson's kind of like to go back to what you're saying about Tyreek Hill. Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller feel like the best case speedy deep threat scenarios. So I'll bring up one that I always come back to is remember Nate Washington. Oh yeah. Nasty, <laughs> like na- na- nasty Nate. Yeah. Kind of like a, na- a Nate Washington where he's probably the wide receiver for, for a team and kind of looking for those big plays on the field, maybe 40, 50% of the time. Well, I don't want to give away too much. I'm looking at uh, Jeff Radcliffe's uh, draft guide right now. You can find that up on ftnfantasy.com, by the way. Code Mayo, tell them that I sent you if you want to go check that. I'll dump it into the description of this video and podcast as well. But is Anthony Schwartz's player comp as a poor man's me cold hard man? <laughs> I wouldn't even say a poor man. I, I think Hardman's a decent comp. There's another one right there for you. But we're seeing with Hardman that if you're not Tyreek Hill and you are limited in various ways, you're still going to have struggles at the NFL level and be kind of, I don't want to say he's gimmicky, but he's somewhere between gimmicky and somewhere between being an, a trustworthy Deshaun Jackson. I don't know what, I think Nate Washington. I'm going to go back to Nate Washington. So it all depends that's on my, so it's like someone like Nate Washington can only ever really thrive because he was in a perfect system with a good quarterback. Yeah, a good system, good quarterback, and could be the number three option, not kicked down far enough. Like put Anthony Schwartz on the Giants now that they have Galladay. So you have Galladay, and they have a somewhat deep threat in Darius Slate and Sterling Shepard. It's like okay, we might hear Schwartz's names four times throughout the year, that type. But if you put him on the Saints. With Jameis Winston, and he could be the number three there, and maybe kick aside Traquan Smith. Now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I could get six, seven, maybe even eight games out of him. Is there any way that Daz Newsom can become a thing? Because that is a fantastic first name. Two Z's. There's a lot of people that are a little bit higher on Daz than I am. Uh, I will say that for my first sentence about him, it's funny. I was just looking at him because I was waiting for you to say, are like, are there names that you <laughs> think should be mentioned as sleepers? And so I was already kind of like looking. The first part I said about it, he's a Ginsu knife. He just cuts through defenses. And that's the one good thing about him is there's some receivers in this draft class like Newsom who just know where to go. And where I say that is I, I forget whose podcast I was doing, but I was trying to draw a comparison to anybody who's ever played Madden and you have that passing play come up and you see the route for the receiver has like that three little, it almost kind of looks like half of Matt Harmon's reception perception thing <laughs> is it's an option route. And I know a lot of people understand. Op- I know what an option route is. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. It's like some people don't. So I was trying to explain it visually for everybody. Those kind of situations for Newsom where it's kind of like pick his own adventure he could do a lot of damage in offense like that because he finds ways to get open, unlike some of the other guys we've talked about. So he would be, I mean, I'm trying to think of the offenses that use players like that. It's probably more than we think, but you always hear about it. feel like that was always the Julian Edelman thing with Brady, that he had the option on yeah. his route. Hey, if you see like this coverage and just boot it up the field, and I'll know just to kind of just chuck it up to you, if not run the route that we thought. So if he's in a, an offense that's a, it sounds like it's a bit more complicated. That's probably better for him. Yeah, I can see, you know, taking like over Rams. as like the, the Rams. I was going to say the number three in Atlanta, but I don't think it would be immediately. But instead of Russell Gage, it would be Daz Newsom. Yeah. Yeah. A, a situation like that where a lot of those a lot of the times where that really works out well is when you have two top wide receivers like. You know, I think you saw some of that with CD Lamb last year with the Cowboys because, you know, I'm not that saying was, that was the other receiver that we didn't bring up with CD Lamb when we were talking yeah. about the rookie receivers. 
Yeah, CeeDee Lamb was another one. Uh, mostly because he disappointed for what people thought he could be. But was he the third best last year? I don't know. But anyway, it's kind of like that, where you know it doesn't gallop is obviously nowhere near the level yet, potentially, of Amari Cooper. I don't think he gets to Amari Cooper, and he's definitely nowhere near Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. But you have two quality options where that third guy could step forward. And that's, you know, I know we're talking rookies here. And I hate the Giants as much as anybody because I want Gettleman gone. But that's why I think Sterling Shepard could bounce back because now you can let Sterling Shepard just find openings, find ways to get open while Galladay and Slayton are busy on the outside. So some of these situations, if you fall into, you know, Daz Newsome would be a good one. I'm trying to think. Um, Daz Newsome. Tyler Vaughn's. What, what about Daz Newsome on the Vikings or the Packers? I could see the Vikings. My concern there is uh, Packers, yes. My concern with the Vikings is just they don't really use the third option. It's no, usually but, the but maybe, maybe it's option. because their third option is like B.C. Johnson. I mean, that's true. But well, you know what? I don't know that there's a huge gap from B.C. Johnson to Daz Newsome. Oh, okay. I would kind of put, yeah, that, that's why. I mean, we're talk, the guys we're talking about right now, we're in my tier five already. Yeah, we we're, we're, in, we're into tier four, guys. We're basically into day two, day three wide receivers. Oh, definitely day three. Okay, so just give me a, a few that maybe that you like from down here. Sleepers, underrated guys. You said you were already scanning, so hit me up with them. <laughs> well, I was going to say we skipped past Tier 4. I don't think I'm looking right now. I don't think we mentioned a single person in Tier 4. Well, you can bring those no, up. We did. This, this, this is your time to bring those guys up. Yeah, Anthony Schwartz we did. He's in Tier 4 for me. Uh, I, I'll give you two out of this group. I'll say I'm a little bit higher on Tamari and Terry of F FSU than most people. Um, somebody, and that's what I was about to say. He's great positioning, kind of. Uh, as you can tell, what I'm about to say, uh, he kind of like skates through defenses. And sometimes I try to vary my ways of saying, you know, weaves in and out of traffic. You try to find like different ways to say it. Um, for everybody out there, for positioning and stacking, which is you know you're getting the position and you're pushing, the, you kind of push the defender back with stacking, like you're putting him in position to where you are going to get to the ball before he can, or he has to react to it. Terry's really good at that. And then another one in this group, Seth Williams of Auburn. Um, I actually have him close to the top. Yeah, second in tier four. Dwayne Eskridge is one that a lot of people like, but I think Seth Williams is getting overlooked at Auburn. Um, his concern right now is separation, but similar to the Sage Sherratt thing that you brought up, he could be a chain mover and red zone option right now uh, with the potential to kind of grow and develop a little bit more. I mean, it basically sounds like you're describing like Dorel Beckham Green. No, no. Green Beckham? Uh, Green, Beckham, Green yeah. Beckham, yeah. He was, he, was, he was so bad, I forgot the order of his names. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm trying to think. There was somebody that I was saying that Darrell Green Beckham could be in this draft. I'm trying to think of who it was because that's what you're saying. It's just like, oh, my God, all these skills, all he needs to do is – oh, no, it's, it go back to it. It's Terrace Marshall. That's the downside for Terrace Marshall is if he doesn't ever change his ways and he's like Marquise Lee where he just tries to get back with, hey – I'm good. I, I, I'm that much better than everybody else. And he doesn't develop route running and he doesn't develop position. Like if you could put Terry and Terrace Marshall to and Terry and Terrace Marshall into one receiver, like just take Terry's knowledge of how to stack corners, take his route running, take his ability and give it to Terrace Marshall. He would be in tear one. Okay. But he's not. That's why we have these questions about he's him. Not. Uh, anyone else from down this? I'll, I asked Emery this question. I'll ask you. Uh, I asked it as it pertained to running backs with him. But for wide receivers, because of the way that the COVID affected the college football season, do you think that some teams, whether it is with an undrafted free agent signing or someone in the fifth, sixth, seventh round from one of these smaller schools where there's like legit talent that just may not have had the opportunity to have been scouted properly? 
Yeah, so I'll, that's a good one. I'll give you one more that we didn't get to that I know a lot of draft Knicks people type out there will love to hear is Jalen Dart in North Texas. There you go. North Texas wide receiver. Uh, what I said about him is trying to catch a fly inside your house. That's it's similar to the Tony situation. He's just a scatterbug. Good luck. Um, and some people might not have noticed that. And people overlook like North Texas. Again, how many people are scouting North Texas? Uh, I'm looking down this list. Uh, Kay Johnson's in tier five with some of these other guests. South Dakota State. You know, how many people are going to South Dakota State and watching South Dakota State games? So there will be some. I thought you were going to go a different direction with the whole COVID situation and say, are we going to see slow to get on the field opportunities for rookie wide receivers? And I could see that as well, especially if you're looking at some of the schools that didn't even have a full 10 game season that only play like six games or five or seven or whatever it might be. You might see some guys there just slow to catch on because it was their last year of development in college and they're already going to probably end up being day three picks anyway. Well, I would actually spin that the other way that you could say that a shortened season for some guys on these teams, the NFL teams probably look at it and be like, Hey, we've seen what we've needed to see. And they only had six games of wear and tear from last year. So they might be a bit fresher and ready to go right away, but they don't have the experience of playing now 17 games throughout the course of an entire season. They might fade coming down the stretch. Yes, for tier one, tier two, and maybe some tier three guys. So what I was saying for day three, and that's why I said day three picks, the day three wide receivers that didn't get to play that much, I think it's going to be, I don't know if we saw enough of what we hope to see of, you know, let's go back to it. Let's talk about, you know, let's say Surratt had speed, but he still couldn't separate. You know, that'd be one where like, okay, you know, he spent his seven games and he couldn't get off coverage. We haven't seen it, so he falls, and it's like, all right, we're going to have to see it in practice before we even let him get on the field, that type of thing. Interesting. I'm just trying to think about guys from last year's draft who could be good this year. That Jalen Rager. I keep going. I'm going to have so much Jalen Rager. Everybody's just throwing him aside like he doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, but is that a talent thing, or is that because he's the only guy on the Eagles who's there? It's both. I think they addressed the wide receiver position. He's one of the top two wide receivers, and he's a top two potential he's not there yet obviously he had his own struggles and he wasn't complete coming out of college but all the excitement for Rager that people had last year was for a reason he's still going to be the number one or or number two with Jalen Hurts in the second year if anything we were talking about it earlier in the show you're talking about tier three wide receivers who could step into a potential volume situation I'll go back to the Lions you want to tell me that one of the Moors ends up on the Lions or Jalen Rager with the Eagles. I'm going to take Jalen Rager because it's his second year. And now he hopefully, I'm, again, I'm, I'm going back to the fact I think they addressed the wide receiver position in the first or second round. And that alone, not having him just be the only quality option half of the season is part of the reason too. I mean, look at it. Jalen Rager was asked to be, you know, I'll, I'll give you another comparison. is the Henry Ruggs situation. So, you know, I was high in Henry Ruggs. And I said this during the year last year that why I was jumping off the Henry Ruggs rookie bandwagon is because Henry Ruggs, he is, like the Jefferson concern, was somebody who wasn't ready to be an outside option. The good thing was that Brian Edwards was winning and was the starting outside wide receiver, but then he got hurt. And the improvement of Nelson Aguilar going into the slot pushed Ruggs outside. So those two reasons, Ruggs started playing outside a lot, and he wasn't equipped for it. He's not ready for it. Similar to Rager, he wasn't equipped to be the number one attention guy for defenses at the wide receiver position. Is Nico Collins the wide receiver who people are going to get enamored with because of the size and because of the speed, and it's just going to turn out he's no good? I, I, 
this the thing is i'm looking immediately because i knew my sentence says this first part good speed and quickness combo given his size there you go boom um not a good route runner somebody else that yeah i could see this is the Darrell green beckham thing you brought before a lot of these receivers have this and they're again it's like saying quarterbacks need to learn to read progressions better and all that type. This is a common thing for wide receivers is to need route running, you know, cleanup, uh, development, technician-wise, or whatever spin you want to put on it. There's very few wide receivers that don't need to work on their routes, but he is somebody who needs more than the average. So yep. that, that's my concern with him. But his player profile, just like the, the athleticism, the size, the speed, that always enamors teams front offices because like oh we can teach him how to do that now as you said it rarely develops but if you do hit on this type of player and you can harness you can put the route running in into this frame of receiver all of a sudden you have like mike evans on your hands well and the good thing with collins is surratt has a lot of experience collins doesn't you only have 38 receptions in his sophomore year and then he opted out last year so you're looking at somebody who you could say all right he hasn't had enough reps he hasn't been out there enough with enough teaching to learn how to really get clean in his routes. I'd rather go for a Collins than a Surratt. I'd rather go for somebody who hasn't been out there. So I could see it. Um, but, you know, I would say put him on a team that wants to teach and has the patience and doesn't try to force the issue. Because uh, we've seen this before. You know, I'm not going to pull in DK Metcalf as in a similar style, but like DK Metcalf on the wrong team would have failed. The, the, if we know this, the Seahawks let him stay on one side of the field the majority of his rookie season and let him run a very limited route tree. If you want to start off Nico Collins that way and develop him, sure. But if you're forcing him out there from day one, he just lets, the thing is, is he's going to lead to, you know, it would be a terrible situation is quarterbacks like Daniel Jones, like Jameis Winston before, well, we don't know that he's better, but Jameis Winston's, anybody with, Inaccuracy and poor decision making. Nico Collins is a bad fit there because he lets the defenders get back into the play. He'll get separation and then kind of sit down too early and stop moving, and corners just come right back on top of him. So he'd be good with like a in a twenty yard radius with someone like Drew Brees, essentially. Yes, yes, I would. If Drew Brees was still with the Saints. Throw him on the Saints, please. Does lack of? I mean, this is such a weird one, but like you know, you have to bench the two twenty five. And there are some guys that can do it pretty well. And most of these guys are undersized versus like very few of these guys weigh 225 pounds. But you see some of the bench presses be like nine. That's not great. Where you see someone like Rondell Moore, you know, 24 putting up, he weighs 181 pounds. Like that's a strong guy. Like just with that sort of actual power. Does it worry you if guys can't even do like 10 bench presses? So I would say this is similar to the, the 40 is the extreme. The extreme worries me. The stream under, uh, the extreme high I don't put too much into it because after being at the combine and you can watch it on TV too. So anybody has the, the bench press is you see some of these guys, they bounce off their chest. Anybody who lifts weights and has ever been to the gym, you know, when you're getting that bounce off your chest. I mean, there's been guys when I've been watching it and I'm afraid they're going to crack their rib like that. That's how much they're getting bounce off their chest. So the 24 would be like, all right, I need to see it. And, you know, if I didn't, I'll go back and like, all right, is it a real 24? As he just really know how to do a good momentum job with the bench press. But yes, the under, the low, the six, seven, eight, nine, that's slightly concerning, especially, so you know this, I say this all the time to you. I'm a film over metrics, but I use both. I'm like 60, 40, 60, 40, 60 on the film side. If the metrics are way off, I'll go back and double check and say if I saw something wrong. If you say 
I see somebody who struggles with press coverage. They get they lose hand fighting, and then they only bench eight. You've just doubled down and been like, oh crap, this guy is gonna struggle in the NFL to separate. If you have somebody that I'm like, oh look, he's getting space all the time, and all of a sudden he benches at eight, I might go back and look and look for some of the times that he was getting bumped in press coverage early in snaps, and like maybe I need to double take and double look. So yes, the very very low end I will be concerned about sometimes. Well, I would even think of someone like uh, what's his name, Demonte Coxie, the guy from Memphis. Yes, that's his name. So he had two huge, yes. yeah, he had two huge seasons at Memphis, and then you know, last year was kind of a write-off for him. But like four bench presses, the guy weighs two hundred pounds. He ran a four seven seven forty. His vertical was way <laughs> under like everyone else at like thirty point five. Yet he still gets brought up. Like, is that just because he had college production? <sighs> Uh, and that and that is like kind of that the link that you're talking about. He was actually the last. I'm he's the last wide receiver that made my cut. Um, I even said it needs more bulk. Uh, needs his, you know, he uses his length, but the length without bulk, without power, without, you know, the ability to separate the NFL means squat. You could be seven feet tall in the NFL. And if you don't know how to play the position, it's not going to matter. That was like all the jokes back in the day, like put Yao Ming on an NFL team and just throw it up to him. You know what? Defenders know how to defend, like, even if they can't get to the ball. Yeah. I always thought the better comparison would be just, just put LeBron in somewhere at tight end. We know the athleticism yeah. is through the roof. The hand-eye is excellent. I feel like an athlete like that could pick up the rest, even if it was just like a red zone package. Yeah, I think you can see Coxie getting a, a flyer because he is somebody who's a good route runner. So it kind of offsets a little bit. Like, all right, let's get him in the weight room. Let's get him on some meal plans. Take him to freaking, I don't know, a diner every single night. Take him to Shoney's every single week and put some bulk on this kid. Well, is that like a day? Like, is that one of the downsides of going to a place like Memphis versus going to Ohio State, where they would be doing this at Ohio State? And I, I don't know whether they do or don't at Memphis, but I know that they do at Ohio State. Like, give you the nutrition program, give you that sort of thing, where facilities and budget just might be more limited at Memphis. They will be, but hopefully, I would assume. I mean, people need to be fired if they're not trying to do it, no matter what. I mean, the facilities at Memphis are still pretty damn nice compared to like it's not. Heck, it's better than ODU, and ODU isn't bad. I've seen ODU. ODU would make a lot of people be like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty nice place to work out. So if the coach isn't on top of them, and that's where you know we say put on more bulk, and that's easy to say, and I'm kind of glad you brought this up because it's you know I've said it a couple times. It's easy to say these things. It's easy to say, he just needs to do this. He just needs to do that. It might be easy to say, hey, he just needs to put on bulk. But look at uh, what's this? Sean Bradley, the basketball player. Just put on bulk. It's some some guys. You know, look at me. I've been working out consistently for years. I just have bad genes. I can never get ripped. You know, some guys might just not be able to put on the weight because their body just doesn't do it. I, I mean, that's fair too. And you'd probably know with Coxie at this point because he's you know he'll be twenty four, right. I think, by the time the season starts. And that's another concern. Yeah. All right. Any anyone else you think we should talk about that didn't get brought up? Nah, we didn't really. You don't need to concern yourself, too. I mean, if you want to go check out my article, I have a lot of other names. Thrown tell in this tell people where they six. can go check it out. At The Athletic. And that's what it is. The top 85 players for fantasy football purposes only. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. That's all I concern myself with because we're fantasy. That's what we want. Um, so, yeah, check it out of The Athletic. There's offers up all the time. You know I tweeted out an all-in kid. Oh, and the Ted Lasso announcement. That's why I wore this T-shirt today. I'm so pumped for that. I'm taking off. What was it? July something? July 23rd or something like that? Just take the whole day off and just watch some Ted Lasso? Yeah. Just binge the hell out of Ted Lasso. Yeah. 
There you go. A lot going on. I, I wish I could do that. That sounds great, Jake. I got I got to move. It's not it's not fantastic stuff. Uh, I've been looking for a house for like two months. And apparently, it's it's still bananas right now. Come with extra fifty thousand dollars over the asking price, waive inspections, and put twenty thousand in cash down. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not getting that house. Well, you better win a big DraftKings contest, and then you'll be set. Oh, I like the transition. That was good. And there we go. Brought to you by DraftKings is the Pat Mayo Experience. You can follow Jake on Twitter at AllInKid. You can check out all of the NFL draft coverage up on Mayo Media Network and on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Smash the like button to this video and subscribe to the network itself. The Emory Hunt show about running backs already out. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this, it's part one of this podcast. Also, we'll have the mock draft, all the props, and everything like that coming for you within the next week. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Mayo experience! Experience! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.